With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics. Want to welcome in now for Pro Football Focus, the two-for-one podcast, one of my personal favorites, Mike Renner. What's up, Mike? Matthew, good to be back, man. This is also, there's a sponsor for this now. I hope you know, Mike. And this is sponsored by Scout Logistics. So this is the Scout Logistics Scouting Report. So this is the very first one. So you can be proud to to be a part of it. Uh, First of all, I want to say that you guys are killing it on the podcast, really enjoying it. And I have always open in my tabs the draft guide. And uh, you guys did incredible work, you and Austin Gale. He's got the background stories. You have the scouting reports. So PFF.com, people should immediately go and get that for draft season. And where I want to start with you is the Senior Bowl, because it was good, Mike. I enjoyed watching the Senior Bowl game, and that is a first to actually say. And I wonder what you came away with, even though there were different circumstances than usual with the Senior Bowl. What was your just biggest general takeaway from the, the Senior Bowl week? Well, my, my biggest takeaway was how sad I didn't get to go this year. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I, I think – I'm not sure there's any big takeaway. I, I think the biggest takeaway I get from it every week every, – year and the week itself is that it's very valuable like it is a very big we we lampoon the combine and the underwear olympics and that stuff but i think actually playing one-on-one a lot of the times in a very controlled environment against other guys who are going to be in the nfl without the advent of superior scheme superior surrounding talent those sort of things gives you great insight into who these guys are that can be difficult to discern sometimes on tape. So my biggest takeaway is that like my evaluations of a lot of those guys down there changed a lot. That's interesting. And I um, get sort of introduced to a lot of guys that I didn't know before. Like who is Taylor, the cornerback? Because, wow, looks like he can play. And this year was not only that guy, uh, what Keith Taylor is his name, who I think nobody had really paid any attention to until um, Daniel Jeremiah was frothing at the mouth over how he played in the senior bowl. But 
some of the defensive linemen in this class, I knew that it had been talked about as a defensive, uh, especially defensive end and pass rusher class that was very impressive. And I'd been, of course, investigating this from a Vikings perspective. But as I'm watching the senior bowl, it's like, this guy is good and this guy is good and this guy is good. I, I just thought that the defensive linemen were the winners of the week. Yeah, I, I think there were a number of them. And obviously the drills are kind of set up for defensive linemen to look better when it's the one-on-ones, just kind of the hit rate is the offensive line loses most of the time in the one-on-one. Mm-hmm. If you are a true one-on-one matchup. So yeah, I think it is. And, and I think it helped a lot of defensive linemen too, because sort of in terms of draft talent down there, the offensive line class had more of the top guys there down there than the defensive line class did. A lot of the top defensive linemen still weren't even there. Like a lot, I think probably the top, I want to say six edge rushers on our board weren't even at the senior bowl still. They were all underclassmen coming out or seniors who didn't end up going. So uh, I do think that uh, smaller school guys really impressed me down there. Cam Sample, guy from Tulane. Mm-hmm. That's those guys always the, like I said, the smaller school guys, guys who didn't play division, you know, not division one, but NFL caliber tackles. Mm-hmm. They have the most to gain by going down there. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I wonder what you think about if the Vikings are not picking a defensive end in the first round, which I want to get to some of those guys and who you think could be the candidates for that. But if they're not, that in the third and fourth, there seems to be some some players that might fit in terms of being projects or guys that could step in to some sort of role right away that I was feeling this about uh, Cooper from Ohio state. Like I know that he didn't have great numbers, but I'm seeing, you know, he, he looks very quick and he's had, maybe I'm overdoing it with some of the defensive ends, but I just thought that there were quite a few that stuck out to me where I went, Hey, who is this? He could be a Viking, <laughs> right? They like defensive linemen in the fourth. Yeah, I, I do think it is that sort of deep defensive line class where usually you don't get guys in the third and fourth. Like the fact that they found Daniel Hunter is a rarity if you just mm-hmm. look at NFL history at the defensive line position, right? At the edge position especially. It's not a lot of the guys who are, you know, the top, the, the upper echelon of pass rushers in the NFL get identified early because it takes an athletic, it takes an athletic profile and physical skill set that everyone kind of realizes long arms and bursts. Those guys go early. Everyone knows that that's what translates. But I think in this class, there's probably about a dozen or so guys that fit that bill to where Hmm. they're not all going to go in the first round. Like you just can't draft a dozen edge rushers in the first round. So I think guys uh, like guys who are down there, like Carlos Basham from Wake Forest could fall to the second, maybe the third round because he didn't play that well on tape this past year, but was number two on Bruce Feldman's freaks list and is 280 pounds with 34 and plus inch arms guy like, the Houston edge rusher Peyton Turner built in a lab has 35 inch arms, almost a seven foot, I think over seven foot wingspan actually at six foot five only played four games this past year before getting hurt, but was dominant in those four games at Houston. So yeah, I, I think this year as opposed to others in the past, that strategy of you're going to get better than a DJ Wanham in the third or fourth <laughs> round this year, I think. 
Yeah, I wonder where you think um, defensive line stands now in terms of your first-round draft value, because this is something that we're always talking about with what is translating to wins. Like, coverage is obviously the most important, um, but pass rush and coverage impact each other, and trying to quantify how much they impact each other seems to be very difficult. And when you're a team like the Vikings last year with rookie corners or inexperienced corners, and then you can't pressure the quarterback whatsoever, it, it would seem seem to me that the the value of the position you're drafting also depends on your particular situation. Oh, 100%. But, but I do think there is almost an ease of positional of position that you're drafting like like kind of what I just said about edge rushers. You can identify there's a high hit rate, not necessarily a high hit rate, but like you can identify those guys well that will translate to the NFL. It's it's a easier position to scout than say a cornerback where oftentimes you're projecting into a completely different role. This guy may have only played spot drop zone in college. Now you're projecting him to a man scheme. He might have played exclusively press in college, and now you're projecting him to only play off in your defense. There's a lot more projection at some other positions, whereas pass rusher, you're one-on-one. Like that, that offensive mm-hmm. tackle, you're one-on-one. You're, you're getting a 1,000 snaps of that over the course of their career of just one-on-one interactions, and that's the exact same thing you're going to be doing no matter what level of football then I think there are some positions that you can just feel better about. And that's why offensive tackle, edge rusher, the guys that go in the first round are often the guys who end up being the elite tackles in the NFL. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense to me that if the Vikings want to get a difference maker, probably drafting them in the fourth round as they've been doing, and nobody loves a fourth round uh, defensive lineman like the Vikings. But the thing is they actually had to play those guys this year and you had Jalen Holmes produce zero sacks. You had uh, Jaleel Johnson produce nothing. And I think ranked dead last by PFF in grade. You had, as you mentioned, DJ Wanham gave them very little, like at some point you need to probably move away from this let's find the next Daniil Hunter. And even Rick Spielman has talked about, well, we try to clone these guys with their athletic profiles and things like that. Like, look, man, there's no cloning Daniil Hunter. That's like saying, you know, all we need is Lawrence Taylor. That's all we just, you know, we'll just find that guy and then it'll be great. Like, I I think that if you're doing that, normally you're having to do that in the first round. And this is why I wanted to ask you about, like, give me the difference between some of these guys at the top, because you've watched obviously a lot more than I have of Gregory Rousseau and Quiddy Pay. I've only seen a little of Quiddy Pay, but I'm like, that works. (laughs) <laughs> that, that, I will select that because he looks like an absolute freak. Yeah, I've compared him. I mean, physically, kind of the way he plays is very reminiscent of Everson Griffin and that he's just he's going he's gonna to hit you. Every single play, he's a very physical dude um, and, and a freak in his own right. And he had that reported 6-3, cone that he actually sent us a video of that is real. Like, he actually <laughs> did that one time, which I – unbelievable at 270 pounds to the way he moves – and how explosive he is still like learning the position. But I think that's kind of the MO of all the guys at the top of this class, whether it's pay Rousseau, Jason Owe from Penn state, uh, you know, Jalen Phillips from Miami, Carlos Bash from Wake Forest. I think the most polished of the bunch, if you're looking for who is maybe the most NFL ready, who is actually looks the best as a pass rusher in terms of doing the things you need to do with your hands and with, you know, amount of moves that you have is Aziz Ojolari from Georgia, and he's 240 pounds, you know, six mm. foot two, yeah. not not even the freak athlete that some of those other guys are on that list. So he'll probably still go high, but that's that's not a position like they tried with Yannick Ngakwe, 
that's not what they do in their scheme. You know, they need the edge setters. That's that's why they draft the, that skill set and that body type is because that's what works in Mike Zimmer's scheme. So, yeah, I, I think the pay Rousseau away, like I said, is kind of going to be in the eye of the beholder, and a lot's going to depend on your interviews with them and what you think because they all really lack a polished game, but they're all just absurd athletes. I mean, actually rare athletes in terms of, throughout the history of edge defenders, that pay three count, unlike anything I've ever seen, Jason Owe <laughs> reportedly runs in the four threes at 250-some pounds and his 5% body fat. The guy's just absurdly different. I think Gregory Rousseau has something like 36-inch arms at six foot seven. And so these guys are different, but they're just not necessarily, like, good at rushing the passer right just now. It, it is uh, remarkable to me how um, the uphill climb has gotten even more uphill for offensive linemen because it feels yeah. like every year we're going into the combine, and this year obviously it's not the same as usual. I'll be sad to not go to the combine, but uh, we're coming out of it going, wait a minute, there are edge rushers running four fours at 250 or 260 pounds, but now it seems like all almost every single year, and the Vikings need much more of this. Uh, they also need interior rush, and this is where it seems like like there's a pretty big gulf of difference between the edge rushers who are available. And this might even be a trade down situation for the Vikings. And then the defensive tackles where I was very intrigued by Christian Barmore uh, during the you know college football playoff. But I mean, outside of that, you mentioned Basham. I mean, it seems like there's just not that many guys who are interior rushers. And this is a huge need for the Vikings. That's why I'll give you a sneak peek. My, the mock draft is going to drop after Super Bowl. I have the Vikings selecting Christian Barmore because of the scarcity at defensive tackle position. He is the one, like the one guy you can in this class feel comfortable about ever rushing the passer at a high level in the NFL. And I think, I mean, you watched his tape against Notre Dame and you watched his tape against, uh, gosh, the national championship game against Ohio State. Two very good, two of the best interior offensive lines, probably the two best actually outside of Alabama's interior offensive line in the country. And he just went to town on them, like absolutely dominant. You don't need to watch much more of the tape than that to see what he's capable of. And the rest of his tape is also pretty good as well, but that was his best tape of the year. And the guy has all of it physically. So I, I don't think 14 is too high for him whatsoever. I put him in a class with Javon Kinlaw, Derek Brown, maybe even better than those two in terms of like where he could be because he's so good at a younger age than those guys were. So far more like, but like I said, after that number two on our list on our you know top hundred is Lee McNeil at 45 overall oh, from wow. NC state. And he's, he's a project in his own right. Very athletic. He made Bruce Feldman's freaks list himself, but he is not a polished pass rusher. Like after that, there's, if you told me there was not a single other difference maker five years from now as, as a pass rusher, hmm. I would not necessarily be surprised. It's just a kind of a weak class. So that, that, to me, kind of puts him to the very top, and I, I like your selection there from the mock draft yeah. perspective. Um, it's, it's weird telling someone, like, love your mock. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, I think that it makes – The world I live in, no, it's – Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I saw somebody tweet Lance Zerline, like, that's the stupidest mock I've ever seen. And he's like, but did you see the one from 2017 that was stupider? Yeah. Um, so, you know, whatever. But I, I think in terms of just judging what they need and what fits with the board, Barmore makes so much sense. Um, now, I, I want to know your feeling on how the quarterbacks early in this draft are going to affect everything else, because I think with the Vikings, as much as everyone would love to see them somehow land Trey Lance or something like that, um, that's probably not going to happen unless there's a Kirk Cousins trade and then the entire world blows up and we'll talk um, another time about that. But 
assuming that the Vikings are not interested, I feel like the stacking of great quarterback prospects at the top is just really beneficial for all the teams that are not taking a quarterback at the top. Oh, 100%. It is a great year to need a quarterback, but also a great year to not need a quarterback because of that, because they're all going to go early. I I believe. I I think you'll see four in the top ten. I I think that's how it ends up going. I don't think Lance slips. I don't think field slips. I I think, one, there's too big of a need, and and people fall in love with what could be. You know, people Mm -hmm. people fall in love with the, the thought of this guy could be the next Mahomes, the next Deshaun Watson, Will they? I, I don't know. Like, they are very good prospects, I will say. But I, I think with how the NFL has gone and what we saw this year with the final four teams being probably the four of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL this past season, teams teams realize, hey, I, I need to go get that guy, that caliber of quarterback, to be in that mix. But I, I didn't think there would be as much jostling at the quarterback position huh. pre-draft. But there might be some legit – like movement. I didn't see, I didn't see golf moving and especially not that quickly after the season. So there might be some legit movement to where teams may not necessarily have that need. It might not be that desperate. So you might not see like big trade ups and whatnot, but I still don't think for those four guys at the top fall outside the top 10. Hey everyone, we're in the full swing of winter now and Soda Stick has you covered. If you're a hockey fan, check out the North State Icon shirts or the Mick Golden Light snowmobile designs. All of these along with great football designs like the Skull Hats, Football State beanies and hoodies, and my favorite, the Metrodome gear. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping. Just go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Are you thinking that Fields or Wilson goes higher? I think Wilson goes higher hmm. based off of just what the NFL, how the NFL evaluates the position. I guess it would be how Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, evaluates the position because that's really all that it matters at that point. I think he went with the bigger armed quarterback, whatever, in the fourth round last year. I think he goes with the bigger armed quarterback. And not that Justin Fields doesn't have a big arm, but Wilson what he can do just in terms of his off-platform arm talent, just making throws with solely his arm is pretty special. I enjoyed Zach Wilson so much that I was out at one point and I called up on an app to listen to the radio broadcast just to see what they were saying on the BYU broadcast about Zach Wilson. He's <laughs> one, I mean, really one of the most fun college players to watch, but also like a rocket arm and that playmaking that everyone's looking for. And I've been thinking about this a lot with Mac Jones that maybe even a few years ago, teams would have been more into Mac Jones than they would be, maybe not necessarily Zach Wilson because he's really got a special arm, but these sort of like a Trey Lance or something would not be as attractive because everyone was into like, can he run our offense? Can he execute our offense? Can he be accurate? And can he be the the leader? Is he a winner? And that sort of thing. And now I think everyone watched Josh Allen and they watched Mahomes and they watched Justin Herbert and they're like, okay, I need one of those. That's that's the only thing that's going to win here. Yeah, I I think I had this take that Josh Allen made Trey Lance a ton of money. You know, <laughs> yeah, like the yep. fact that he came good this year, everyone thinks Trey Lance biggest arm in the draft. 
the you know the best maybe the best runner at, at the quarterback position in the draft. I can mold him into an NFL quarterback. Can you? I don't know. It remains to be seen. It, the, there's a steep history of those guys not working out as well. But I think everyone wants to try because the payoff is so big, as we saw with the Bills this year. So, yeah, and I agree that in the past, guys like Mac Jones, who were just efficient, fairly accurate with the football, weren't going to open up your offense, but whatever. They can they can win from the pocket. The whole – everyone for the – vast majority of NFL history always said you have to win from the pocket if you're going mm-hmm. to win the NFL. Right, right. And now it's flipped on its head where that guy has gotten almost underrated, the really guys who are that efficient and good from the pocket. But I still think I still think someone like the desperation still is going to win out with Mac Jones. I still mm-hmm. think he goes somewhere in the first round. It, it's interesting because it wasn't too long ago we were watching, uh, maybe a year ago, that we were watching a pocket quarterback in the Super Bowl in the NFC, and we were watching the year before Jared Goff, a pocket quarterback who you know the offense is built around him, but it just doesn't feel like there's a sustainability to that from year to year. It's like everything has to click for you, and the minute it doesn't, you end up with, well, the Vikings have kind of gone through this with Kirk Cousins. And I just I wonder about the, the situation with Cousins and whether the Vikings would consider drafting someone else somewhere else other than the first round. I, I would be totally shocked if they took Mac Jones or something at 14. Mm-hmm. But is there anybody else worth talking about? Because I went back and I poked around those guys that we love. I, I think last year I was like, Tyler Huntley kind of intriguing and like who cares right I mean just like every every year we get into the like who's gonna be who's gonna be our guy um from the seventh round or the the fifth round or something but even if you're drafting one in the third it seems like it's almost useless so is there anybody even worth talking about that is not a first round quarterback that the Vikings could take as someone to develop behind Cousins if they're going that route yeah I think the days of drafting and developing a quarterback are pretty much over like NFL is good at identifying quarterback talent, similar to edge talent. They, and they're more desperate now. So they draft any guy that has a chance in the first round. I think right. I went back and looked, and over the past decade, there's only been four guys who you could even deem quality starters in the NFL. He's Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, and Derek Carr. They were drafted outside the first round, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like no one else over that time span has done much of anything drafted outside the first round. So it's rare to find that guy. I, I think in this class, the two guys I would mention that could be that guy, one being Jamie Newman from Wake Forest slash Georgia or whatever, just because physically I think he has those tools. He's obviously like his ability to run an offense is a question. Like the Wake Forest offense was like all RPOs, mm-hmm. but he's accurate with football and has a fairly big arm and can run. And that's like a good starting point for the quarterback position. And I'd also throw Davis Mills, from Stanford Hmm. declared early. So he has some fans in the NFL in terms of evaluation. He's only made 10 career starts, was a former five-star recruit. And he actually had one of the quickest time to throw. He operates an offense quickly. He just not athletic at all. No escapability outside the pocket. (laughs) Quintessential pocket quarterback and doesn't have a big arm in his own right. But I think the sort of, it's kind of the, what in the NBA draft, everyone falls in love with the guy that's barely played at all because oh, what what he could be. <laughs> right. That's right. kind of the same thing with Davis Mills. Five star with only ten career starts is like oh, what could he be? Right. Once he gets to the NFL, once he actually develops, maybe when that light switch flips on. 
I also think when you say not athletic at all, all Vikings fans just shut off the podcast. Just like, nope, I'm not listening <laughs> to anything more about this guy because they've been dealing with that. Not a big arm, not athletic. And you see some of the limitations that exist there with Kirk Cousins. So, like, why do it for an, another guy? But there is always the the contract issue that sort of plays into it. But I, I'm in agreement in that if you're looking back in any sort of recent history – I mean, we're we're just getting better at a lot of things, I think, with scouting and analytics and all the, the you know data that they have. And I, I've been and I think I've mentioned this to you before, you know, that uh, I have draft nihilism where I say, like, look, we can't control it. You know, you could think that we can know all these different things, but sometimes Josh Rosen becomes a great quarterback and sometimes he blows up in my face because I thought he was going to be good, right? Like nobody's consistently good at this. But I wonder, since you cover this closer than I do, if you see patterns, because recently – since the 2015 draft, really, the patterns have not been good for the Vikings. There's just a lot of things. Uh, I counted this up. 17 players on defense that they've drafted since 2015 and zero matter. That's that's not great, right? So I, I wonder if there's anything that you notice that any team is doing to be ahead or to be a little bit wiser just by percentage points that the Vikings should be doing. I think the one thing that I thought was the most interesting heading into last year was the Colts strategy towards the draft. One, just accumulating um, a lot of draft capital. They, they trade back more than anyone. And two, they used that draft capital on the defensive side of the ball on athletic guys. Hmm. Purely, they pretty much did not or haven't drafted anyone that's not either extremely long or extremely athletic. Like they only draft guys in that mold, obviously had a top five defense in the NFL this past season. So I think it's just an interesting way of, they, they kind of realize the strategy of how defenses, especially guys outside of the coverage players, how coverage players Mm -hmm. are a weak link sort of proposition where if you have one guy who's an extreme liability, he gets targeted the most, like Mm -hmm. a lot of funnels towards that guy. So having your weakest player be, average still maybe you don't need elite high-end guys but your weakest players still be good um is a big value add and so they've been throwing just resources at athletes on the defensive side of the ball and i just thought that was an interesting strategy i haven't i'm like in terms of like big trends i'm not sure i've seen much outside of like the valuation of the quarterback position being a big trend where guys just like they go they've gone earlier than ever before people are more willing to take those chances i think than ever before I think um, the Vikings chasing 2015 has been a little bit of their issue where they had this one draft that went really well. So they said, you know what? We should just only ever draft receivers in the fifth or the sixth because <laughs> Stacy Coley and Rodney Adams, like they'll be the next Stephon Diggs. The thing is, you know, there isn't, no, nope. There's not a next Stephon Diggs. There isn't a next Daniel Hunter, probably not even a next Eric Kendricks because if Eric Kendricks was coming out now, everyone would say he was a first round pick. Um, the only reason he was in the second was because of his size and everyone sort of figured that out. So it's, um, mm-hmm. it's like you were accidentally maybe ahead of the curve a little but then, and then, you know, outsmarting themselves, like Antoine Winfield Jr. was just kind of perfect for them with, instead of franchise tagging Anthony Harris. And they said, eh, let's, let's go with our, 
our guy in, instead. So things like that, I think, are worth criticizing a bit. But most of the time, it's you draft a guy and, and, you know, taking a center in the first round who can only run block. Like, those kind of things are worth criticizing. And then other things you kind of go, I don't know. Ezra Cleveland, they randomly decided he was a guard. I don't know. Um, so I, that was the last thing I wanted to ask you, Mike, is just Jeff Gladney, Cam Dantzler, Ezra Cleveland, these are three extremely huge pieces to the Vikings and whether they succeed or fail going forward. Um, is there any way to get a feeling on those guys? I mean, they all had in some ways ups and downs through their first season. And I, I don't have a good sense for are these guys going to really turn out and be centerpieces to this roster or is it going to kind of go the way that it's gone with some recent drafts for them? I actually really like Cameron Dancer. He ended up finishing the second highest graded rookie cornerback. I thought, after that, the injury he had against Green Bay came back. Once he came back, I thought he was, looked like a different player. I, mm-hmm. I thought yeah. you saw the playmaking ability down the stretch. Yes, he's not the fastest. He did get burned at times. But I think he's a still a good fit for Mike Zimmer's defense and a very smart cornerback in his own right. So I do think that that's the guy I'd be the most excited about of all those guys. I still think Ezra Cleveland, you kind of knew going in year one wasn't going to be his year. And he obviously mm-hmm. switched positions year one, too. He was a project, was an athletic project. So he did still grade out as grade out well as a run blocker for year one. Looked strong still compared to NFL competition, which is always kind of a thing. It's like, hey, you played at Boise State and you look strong against guys at Boise State. Second happened in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. So I think that's a reason to be encouraged. Well, the one guy I'd be worried about is Jeff Gladdy. The fact that one, he's you know immediately not starting over the you know your third round pick who was uh, obviously draft two rounds later, and Gladney was the guy who was – not that he was supposed to be necessarily super NFL ready, but he had been tested a bunch. Like, he mm-hmm. had played yeah. four years of ball at TCU. You would expect that guy to come in and pick stuff up quickly. Like, he should have at least a veteran-ness to him. You're not drafting a pure guy who one year of starting, maybe the game's coming slow to him. No, he should have – like, it should have been better than that year one, I thought. So that's the one guy I'd worry about, the fact that he couldn't – uh, just didn't end up play, playing well over the course of the season. Where I was concerned is making the same mistakes twice at the end of the season and at the beginning of the season. You know, there were yeah. like receivers would use their sort of leverage against him and you'd be saying on tape, like, he's going to break back to the inside, man. He's stemming you out. Like, you need to know these yeah. things. And Zimmer would say, like, well, they need to get closer and tighter in coverage. It's like, yeah, but you have to recognize those things first. Keeping his eyes in the backfield on play actions and getting roasted, like it kept happening. So that was where I kind of had a little bit of hesitation and where Vikings fans are very sad about Antoine Winfield Jr. playing in the Super Bowl. So anyway, um, Mike, Awesome stuff as always. Two for one draft podcast with you and Austin Gale is a must listen. And the draft guide is just ridiculous. It's, I don't know how you do that. It's <laughs> massive and um, it has so much detail and I use it all the way through draft season. It's just great. So you do awesome work. We'll connect again soon before the draft, man. And uh, just keep it up. For sure. Appreciate you having me on, Matthew. Hey, I want to take a second to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy place. 
happy price, Priceline. And I really mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and they reached out wanting to support this show. And I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for perishable, non-perishable, and fragile freight from source to door. And if you're wondering what that means exactly, well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they're the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America. And we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They could ship perishable, non-perishable, oversized, or fragile goods, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk, overperform, and go the extra mile for your company. All right, we welcome in from Vikings.com, Eric Smith. What is up, Eric? Hey, Matt. It's good to see you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. Well, this is the first time on this show, but I had had you on previous shows uh, before to talk about a big piece you did on Randy Moss a couple of years ago, which people should still go back and find, where you interviewed all the quarterbacks who threw touchdowns to Randy Moss, and I thought that was a great piece. So uh, Google it. See if you can find it. It's really good. And you've got another one where you talk to draft analysts about Justin Jefferson and his time going through the draft process and how he ended up where he ended up being drafted, and, of course, a huge steal for the Vikings. So we'll get to that. But I want to do some fun offseason stuff with you first. I've got a couple of things that are, let's call them scenarios, to throw at you. And I want you to tell me what you think is kind of the most likely or maybe the best route for the Vikings. So I want to start out with this, Eric. Let's say the Vikings are able to create $20 million in cap space, and that includes a couple of players like Riley Reef. Kyle Rudolph not necessarily being here, and so they have $20 million in cap space. I want to know the first place you would spend that $20 million on this Vikings roster. Mm, That's a good one. Uh, I'm going to spend it two places. I'm going to divvy it up, and I'm going to kind of allocate my resources towards the trenches and go with both the offensive and defensive line. We know that the Vikings offense was good in in 2020. It it wasn't bad. It was good, but – it could have been great, I think, if the line just played a little better. And there, there were good pieces. I thought Brian O'Neill played well. You mentioned Reef. I thought he, he did a good job. I thought Garrett Bradbury took a step forward in, in his second season. And I thought Ezra Cleveland, you know, he was a rookie. He had his ups and downs. But overall, I thought he did okay. You know, D- uh, Dozier struggled a little bit. You know, it's tough for me to say that because he's such a good guy. But, you know, it's pretty obvious that he was he kind of had his ups and downs. So, I go offensive line because I feel like if you can solidify the line and whether that's in free agency with this extra $20 million or in the draft, just one of those two areas, if you can improve the line, improve the blocking for Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins, both in run or the pass, then I think the offense can take a, take a, a better step forward in 2021 and be, be great. Instead of being good, they can be great. But you also have to address the defensive line and we'll see what happens with uh, Michael Pierce and Daniel Hunter, if they come back healthy and, and all that, that, that remains to be seen. But the defensive line was not good in 2020. Everyone has said that. Mike Zimmer has said it himself. And I think if you can get a few more pieces, whether that's a free agent, you know, a mid-tier free agent, 
or a first round edge rusher in the draft. That's been uh, a popular pick for mock drafts early on. If you can shore up the D line, then that will just improve. I think the overall defense help those young corners. Um, so yeah, I'd start in the trenches and um, I think most people probably would too. Yeah, I agree with you. And so I guess I should be more specific then about the offensive line, because if they move on from reef, then it, creates kind of a big shuffle then you've got to decide are you playing Ezra Cleveland at left tackle and then replacing both guard positions and how are you keeping the depth also if uh, Rashad Hill hits the free agent market he's been very good depth for them and so then you feel like uh, you've got to go find another veteran depth player if Rashad Hill is going elsewhere so let's let's talk about the two cases and then we can get to the defensive line if Riley Reef stays and they rework his contract for me there's two ways to go about this. It's chase the big fish. There are two really good guards in Joe Thune and Brandon Shrepp that they could go after. Or there is the let's try to find a guy who maybe isn't going to get paid as much but can give you average play. Let's call it the Josh Klein route. Uh, Josh Klein was actually a hit for them, I think, in free agency with what they paid versus what they got. It's just that I think his career is over because he had some injuries that year, and that would be the only reason I can think that no one signed him after that or the Vikings cut him. So um, if it's the first route of Reef staying, it seems like it's kind of a straightforward proposition. Either find a, a veteran who can fill the spot or go all in. If he does not stay, then – all hell breaks loose a little bit, Eric. Yeah, if Reef stays, I think it's pretty clear and obvious that four of the five starters from last year are back. And I think even Dozier could be back, too, in a maybe a spot, a spot start role, a backup role. We'll have to see what happens. But assuming Reef is back, then, yeah, it'll be Reef, Bradbury, Cleveland, and O'Neal probably in the same spots they played this year, unless they want to move Cleveland to left tackle. But him having only played right tackle, let's just keep him over there on the right side. So, yeah, that means they have to either draft a guy in the first round or sign a, a free agent, like you said. Um, if they can get one of the, the two big fish, yeah, that instantly improves the old line. But I think that's maybe a little easier said than done right now, just because, you know, money is always an issue. And with the cap potentially going down, you know, we, we have to see what that, what that falls at. Um, if it's the other scenario where – Reef does not stay, you know, the Vikings choose to move on, then, yeah, then I think it becomes a little bit of musical chairs. And I, I've thought about it. I don't know what the best scenario is at this point because I think you have to see who they bring in and then decide where people play. I don't think you can just immediately say, okay, Ezra is going to be our left tackle because he didn't play there hardly at all, even in practice. And it's it's tough to go from – not only the left guard to left tackle, but right guard all the way over to left tackle. That's, that's a big jump. Um, and I thought he played well on the right side. And I think if you keep Bradbury, Cleveland, and O'Neal together on the right side, that's a solid young trio, you know, of guys who are probably ascending. Um, so, yeah, if Reef goes, then it's probably three of five linemen that are still here from last year, and they got to fill two spots. Um and, you know, maybe then if he's not here, then it increases the odds of drafting a lineman in the first round. Um, I know that um, the guy from USC, uh, Vera Tucker, his last name is Vera Tucker. He's, mm -hmm. been, he's been linked to the team a little bit here and there, and he can play guard and tackle. And he, he, we all know how much the Vikings like uh, flexible linemen who can play multiple spots. So we'll see. I mean, I, I'm interested to see what direction they go with, with you know, with Reef and, and – uh, you know, the cap and all that. Uh, it's certainly 
more different than any other year just because no one really thought the cap would ever be going down. <laughs> right. But, but, but here we are. So, um, you know, we, we got a couple of weeks to get that all figured out. And, you know, I always joke about this. You know, I wrote this and I wrote about the offensive line in, in a season recap and I led it with, well, it's the offensive line. So it's always in focus in Minnesota. <laughs> and it, that's always yes. the case. In, in the five seasons that I've been here, there's always a spotlight on the offensive line. Yeah, um, same here. Uh, it's actually remarkable how often we're talking about you know the same, even just the same position of left guard over and over and over again. And yeah, that this is where it gets really interesting because in this year's drafts, it's different from past years where I think we had a really good sense of where they were going to go. Even when they drafted Dalvin Cook and Pat Elfline, we knew that there was an offensive line need and we knew that there was a running back need with Adrian Peterson leaving that year. And you look at last year and we'll talk about Jefferson in a second, but it's was, was very clear that they were drafting a wide receiver in the first round. And the same went for a cornerback with their two starting cornerbacks leaving. And that's the thing that's hard to figure out right now when you're doing your mock drafts and your draft simulations is, well, how is this going to play out with free agency? But I also think that this team, Eric, is in a unique position that neither you or I have ever covered since we've been around this team is best player available in the first round because there are just so many spots that you could make a good case for. Even on Twitter, if someone was making the case for a cornerback, and I know people would lose their minds if they drafted Caleb Fairley um, or um, Patrick Sertain, but I mean, there's an argument for it, right? So it's not – could they draft a, a tackle or a guard? Like, absolutely. Could they draft a defensive lineman, which we'll discuss in a second? Could they draft a, a corner? It's like this is such a unique position for you and I because usually it's very easy to guess which direction they're going. It is. It is. And like you said, you could almost pinpoint in recent years at least one or two solid positions that the Vikings were going to pick in the first round. And this year, yeah, it feels like, like you said, more than any other year we've been here that – what they do in free agency in March and in the next six weeks from the time you and I are chatting now, that will define what they do then at the end of April in the draft. And usually, you know, we kind of knew at the end of last year that there'd be a focus on the cornerbacks or that there, there needed to be another wide receiver brought in. This year, like you said, yeah, it could be left tackle, left guard, right guard, you know, um, defensive tackle, defensive end, cornerback safety you know we have to see what happens with Anthony Harris I mean that's six seven positions right there and at 14 there's gonna be a bunch of people there it's not like you're picking 29 or 25 like you were a year ago or you know Jefferson was 22 so there's gonna be more talent available at that spot and like you said maybe it is best player best player available maybe that's the pick and until we get there we don't know and it's, it, it really makes it intriguing and there's also a possibility, and this is where the Vikings, I think, are in a decent spot, um, is that there's going to be four quarterbacks probably taken before them, at least three, but maybe four, which leaves you with simple math, getting a top 10 non-quarterback player in this draft. And so that kind of helps. And maybe even Mac Jones helped himself enough at the senior bowl to have some team like Denver say that needs a long-term quarterback or Carolina that might be looking at a long-term quarterback 
if those quarterbacks fly off the board, you're talking about having an opportunity to just pick the most talented player and then find a way to fit them in, which you probably can because there's enough open spaces. Now on the defensive line, this is where things get very interesting because of the Daniil Hunter situation and whether he goes or stays, it's kind of the same thing as Riley Reef of if he goes because of the contract situation, then wow, you've got a lot of work to do. If he doesn't, it feels like a lot less. But I think, Eric, that a veteran pass rusher, regardless of that situation, a a situational type of rusher, a role player there, would be really important for this team. Last year, they decided to kind of get the big fish in Ngakwe, and that didn't work out. So maybe this year, find someone who is a 40% of the time type of pass rusher who's been around, who's been doing it in free agency, and then pair them with your draft picks in a draft that has a lot of defensive ends to it. Yeah, one thing that Mike Zimmer, and you know this as well as I do, one thing Zimmer always says is you can never have enough cornerbacks. And and his philosophy and, and Andre Patterson, it's all about coverage and rush, rush and coverage. That's something we've heard for years. And, you know, the Vikings addressed the cornerback spot in, in last year in the draft with, with three guys. But they didn't really get anyone to rush the passer they really made an impact. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think Wanham has some bright spots, but you know, he could probably take a step forward, but you look around at all the teams that have success on defense and they have a rotation of guys. Sure. Every, everyone wants to have two pro bowl edge rushers on each side. You know, everyone wants to have a, a hunter and a Griffin like when we had a few years ago, but that's really hard to do because of money of, you know, um, just making it all work. And, I think, yeah, if if Daniil comes back and they have Wanham and they draft someone, on, even if they draft the defensive end in the first round, sure, I don't mind the idea of going and getting another, you know, like we said, a mid-tier free agent pass rusher and just rotate guys in. Why not constantly put pressure on the quarterback rather than rely on just one or two guys to do it? Because as we've seen, they can chip, they can chip them, you know, they can double team them. Mm-hmm. But if you have multiple guys, kind of like what we saw with, um, probably like in 2017 when Daniil was really starting to take off in his second season, and it was Daniil, Everson, and B-Rob, and that's three pretty solid pass rushers, and they moved B-Rob inside, and the defense was great, and, and the defensive line was great. So, yeah, I, I want to, you know, stack the deck, add up, you know, add it all together, and just bring in as many quality pass rushers as we can because, you know, that's the way to win is to get pressure on the quarterback. And the challenge here is the dollars that you have to work with versus how you need to allocate them. And so I sort of started with a just random number that I plucked out of the air of $20 million to work with. But I think what we've seen teams do, and the Vikings did this, the Josh Klein signing is sort of a good example of it. What we've seen teams do is find these veteran players who are average or decent at a thing and then bring them in for a fairly cheap dollar. I mean, last year... Uh, I included this list in an article that I did about the cornerbacks. But last year, you know, Ron Darby signed for three million bucks, and Dre Kirkpatrick signed for one point one million, and Mackenzie Alexander signed in Cincinnati for four million. Like these guys, the second wave of free agency, I always feel like is much better than the first. Of course, you guys at Vikings.com, me, we're all gonna hype up the beginning of it and like, all right, free agency has begun. Ring the bell. Here we go. Who are the big players that are getting signed? 
I think this team is in a much better position to let the first two or three days go and see who's left on the table. And it felt like last year they didn't pluck some of those guys that were there for the having that maybe this year they're going to change that mindset. Agreed. And a player that always comes to mind, I know we're talking about the offensive and defensive line and all that, but a player that always comes to my mind in this, in that scenario that you laid out is Case Keenum. Is mm-hmm. that, yeah. when, Case, when, when Case Keenum was signed, there was hardly any fanfare about it. He had struggled a lot with the Rams and, and hadn't really played well. Hadn't really won many games, actually, as, as a starter. And there was no hype. There was no hoopla when we signed. A lot of us were like, you know, we, we knew him from Houston, right, in college right. and just yep. putting, up, putting up all those crazy numbers. And look what he did. You know, he magically gets thrust in there as a starter, takes us on a wild ride to the NFC title game. No one would have predicted that when we signed him in that second, it might've been even the third wave of free agency back, back in 2017. So yeah, sometimes there's always, you know, hidden nuggets in that second and third wave. And like you said, I think the Vikings, that's kind of when, when they're going to have to make hay and, and find some, some sweet spots in that area. Okay. Before I ask you about your Jefferson piece, uh, tell me the thing in the off season that you are the most interested in in the NFL not just with the Minnesota Vikings but in the entire league that you sort of can't wait to find out um, now that we're like really into off-season mode yeah I think just like any other football fan I want to see where Deshaun Watson ends up and that's if Houston trades him you know I'm I'm not fully sold that they are because um, they why, why would you want to trade someone like that um, you know, if I'm just guessing, I think he probably will get traded because he's clearly unhappy there, but, mm-hmm. but where he ends up and, you know, that could have a domino effect on multiple other teams across the NFL, depending on how that shakes out. And I know he's been, you know, linked to the bears if he comes in the NFC North, you know, and then it's like, Hey, not only did Watson get traded, but now we have to see him twice a year. And, we saw him this year and, and he played well in that. I think it was week four down in Houston. He played yeah. well in that yep. game, he, even though the Vikings won. Um, so yeah, probably seeing where he, where he ends up. Um, you know, but like I said, probably like 95% of other football fans are wondering. <laughs> right. Question. Right. Exactly. Uh, with the bears, they're at the very top of my list because I feel like no one's talking about them in terms of the intrigue for their quarterback position. Maybe it's just because we all assume they'll screw it up that, that they'll end up with, um, you know, the next Eric Kramer or Steve Walsh or something. Uh, but they have to be at some point a major player for quarterback because they're in desperation mode. And yet I still, I still see Ryan Fitzpatrick coming to the NFC North. I don't know about you. I don't know what your guess is for the Bears quarterback situation, but I think it's sort of fascinating that you're going to have Rodgers 99% chances back, Kirk 99% chances back, but then the other two teams with new quarterbacks that kind of adds a different dynamic to the NFC North. Yeah, and I'll add, it's going to be really weird seeing someone other than Matthew Stafford as, yes. you know, reportedly as the as the quarterback <laughs> oh yeah i'm sure it's not official yet right <laughs> not not till march 17th <laughs> uh as the quarterback for the lions because even before i got here he was he, he was the person you thought about when you thought about the lions you know mm-hmm. after barry sanders and calvin johnson it's him and you know being a number one overall pick one thing i wanted to add and this is real off topic but, but you brought up eric kramer um, so I actually grew up in, uh, Southern California, which, mm-hmm. you know, in a town called Thousand Oaks. And 
I played one year of high school football my freshman year, and I had a friend whose dad somehow knew Eric Kramer. <laughs> so I went to a few, like, Saturday morning, like, passing camp sessions with him where he, like, drew us plays on the whiteboard, and then we, like, went out and, like, ran stuff. And I'm, like, some scrawny 13-year-old kid, like, athletic but not that athletic I wasn't right. going places so yeah I I, I I know you I know you talk about Eric Kramer a lot on the pod and all the I, time uh, I wanted to, to give him a little shout out he is one of my favorite polls because he was like just you know this journeyman quarterback who was he was Fitzpatricky where he was good enough to be your quarterback but not really good enough to be your franchise quarterback so he would bounce around and he had his moments with Detroit with Chicago so I yeah you're probably right that I do pull out Eric Kramer from time to time and that's why, because you never know where your journeyman connection is going to be. That's hilarious. I got um, one right there. So, uh, that's amazing. That's great. That's why I love journeyman quarterbacks. There's always some connection. Uh, let's talk about your Justin Jefferson piece, um, a, a massive article that you worked on here, Vikings.com, the rise of Justin Jefferson. And you talked to draft experts about uh, his draft process and where he was ranked and you know where he got drafted, all those things. And, uh, Jefferson has a chip on the shoulder about it, a big one about where he was uh, drafted. But I wonder what your biggest takeaway was. Um, actually, I'll tell you mine. You can react. Tell me if you agree. If someone only plays the slot in college, that doesn't mean they can only play the slot. That's my that's my biggest takeaway is don't pigeonhole a player just because of how their college football team decided that they were going to be used. Agree, agree. And that topic, that area came up so much when I talked to these five draft experts. And I think a lot of us kind of maybe didn't believe it, but that was certainly a, a major storyline with him coming right out, um, coming coming out of the draft. I remember writing a story for Vikings.com, and the headline was something like, Jefferson ready to play outside as well as the slot. Everyone just assumed, okay, he played in the slot at LSU, and I forget which analyst I talked to said he, it was like 93% of the mm-hmm. time. Yeah at LSU in his, his final season. And then he comes in and, and only played, I think it was maybe a quarter of the, of the snaps with the Vikings in the slot. So he showed, yeah, he, he can, he can win in the slot. He can win outside. Um, my biggest takeaway was actually a guy that you helped uh, connect me with. And that's Chris Trapasso of CBS sports mm-hmm. and not to bag on Chris, but I just really appreciated his honesty because, he had Jefferson as his number 12 overall wide receiver <laughs> heading into the draft. And with how deep the wide receiver class was a year ago, that was good enough to be a late second round grade, which is pretty solid for any other season. But him and I just had, had some good laughs about how he, you know, he said, I got to take the L on this. Um, and that's, but I think maybe if people didn't get it as wrong as Chris, I think most people got it wrong because if anyone knew he was going to do this, he would have been one of the first one or two wide receivers taken. And I'll throw myself in that mix. I thought he was going to be good. I'm sure you did too, but 1,400 yards, I think we can both admit we didn't probably see that coming. Yeah, breaking all the rookie records, I didn't you know, have that in my write-that-down predictions. Um, but you know, when it comes to Jefferson, I was very high on him. Uh, I did a – 
one of these, one of the very first podcasts of Purple Insider was with Donald Jones, former NFL wide receiver, where we watched Justin Jefferson tape. And so I was just trusting Donald in his eyes. And he really loved a lot of the things that he saw, especially the, the sort of playmaker element of Jefferson. And this is another point where we get really into, and especially the Raiders maybe drafting Henry Ruggs first here, or remember John Ross being taken in the top 10 we get really into that combine. And I wonder if the lack of combine will save some teams from themselves this year. It, it's so into the well, four two nine, man. I mean, that's so fast, right? And you sort of miss the forest through the trees with a guy who like had a natural ability to just catch the football and make plays with it. And to get off the line of scrimmage was the question when he was on the outside, but he's so fast and he's so strong that it, it's, it was never an issue this year with Jefferson getting off the line of scrimmage. So it's almost like, and the same thing for Jalen Rager, like you're really missing the production element of this that should be important that a guy who's great in college, not always means they're going to succeed, but if they have the athletic profile too, like, like, don't overthink this sometimes for NFL teams. For sure. And you mentioned the combine. There were some question marks about Jefferson going in, but then he went and ran, I think it was a four four three. Right. And so why didn't that move him up teams' boards, right? Like, everyone was wondering, oh, is he just like a system guy, like an LSU system guy? He can only play in the slot. He's not that fast. Well, then you see him at the combine, and he looks like the best guy out there you know, catching passes and, you know, the combine is not an NFL game, but he, he showed he can run fast. Sure. It wasn't, you know, rugs or Judy fast. He wasn't, you know, a burner, but four, four, three is, is going to win you most, most routes, you know, most, most plays. And, um, you know, there was one expert that said, you know, the best, I think it was Jer- Daniel Jeremiah said the best receivers in the, in the NFL aren't always the fastest or the biggest it's the ones who can run the best routes and get open. And, and we see that with, with Adam Thielen all the time. He's not the fastest guy or the biggest guy, but, you know, Jefferson showed it too. He, he kind of has that sneaky, you know, game day speed that, that showed up a lot. And, and look how it turned out. Yeah, and you know, another part of it too that was uh, maybe overlooked that Mike Zimmer pointed out on numerous occasions was just having strong hands. You just catch every football that comes near you. It's like, again, this is not rocket science. It's like, I don't mean to say any person could be an NFL scout, but sometimes with some players and some decisions that get made in the draft, you go, Lamar Jackson was unbelievable in college. Why did you make so much else out of it, right? And the same thing, I guess, goes for Justin Jefferson here. Like, why did you make so much else out of it? The other part of it, too, and it's funny that he succeeded on a team that doesn't use three wide receivers, but slot receivers, moving guys around, I mean, this is going on all the time in the NFL. Even if a guy is a slot-only wide receiver, which, by the way, was on a – Stefan Diggs' original draft profile, too, on NFL.com, that they projected him as a slot receiver. But slot receivers are killing it in the NFL. Michael Thomas lines up in the slot. Adam Thielen lines up in the slot. It's just sort of a, like, you know, there's draft luck, and there's, well, you know, you thought it was going to work out, and it didn't because of X, Y, and Z. And then there's, okay, you really had a bad process, all the teams, and the Vikings are the beneficiaries for it. One thing that you asked me about my big takeaway, one thing that really stood out was that Dane Brugler, I talked to Dane of the, of the Athletic, and he's mm-hmm. really, really well-respected. He's really good. He said that when he first got into scouting, one of his mentors said, 
don't overthink it. If the guy produces, then more often than not, he's going to produce at the next level. And that's not always the case. There's always players who kill it in college and then for some reason just don't translate to the NFL. Mm -hmm. But in this case, you know, what Dane said really resonated. He's like, look at the numbers. Look at what he did at LSU. How could you not think he was going to be a star? And he was. And I think you're right. Some teams, you know, there's a lot of pressure in the draft. And, you know, teams have so long to evaluate guys. I just wonder, I just wonder if, you know, I'm sure we all do it. You, you focus on something for so long and then you're like, well, how about this? How about that? (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then by the end you're overthinking it. And, you know, like I said, there's just so much pressure and you only have a certain, you know, finite amount of picks to to get it right and, and, and help your roster. So, yeah, I'm sure every team in the NFL has a pick, you know, or multiple picks every year where they're like, well, that, that just kind of how it has to go. Yep, and uh, everybody sees something different, too. I mean, Chris Trapasso, like you said, he didn't see it, and other people did, and um, it's kind of a big guessing game. And that's why I enjoy draft season so much is sort of the debates over which players are going to turn out. And then we all just kind of wait and see, (laughs) and and you never really know. And you know this, too. um, Once you get into training camp, then you've got a sense for it. But it's not until then. And you, there, there's no way to simulate of like putting Justin Jefferson into a training camp situation. So if it's, you know, Laquan Treadwell and you put him into a training camp situation versus college, well, maybe you would have known that it was going to go differently, but you couldn't do that. And so it's sort of funny for us, even reporting on the team, when we go to camp and you see Jefferson run and you go, wonder why that guy wasn't drafted at the top. My gosh, he's faster than everybody else. Um, but you can't, you can't do that. So it's always an interesting dance that these teams have to do. And I think about you know, the Vikings' previous couple of wide receivers that they picked in the early rounds didn't work out, and then all of a sudden this one does. And so we hear that all the time. Well, this team can't draft this position or that position. It's like you take your shots and you see what happens, and this one was a home run definitely a home run, right? And and that was kind of my final question to each of these draft experts was what does the future hold for him? You know, we, mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, his 2020 season and pre-draft reports and what they hit on, what they missed on. But I really wanted to find out, well, now that he's done it, what do you expect of him going forward? And Daniel Jeremiah called him a top five, top 10 receiver already, mm-hmm. you know, and this is yeah. just a guy who played one year. Chris, even though he, he was wrong, he's like, he's like, now's my chance to get it right. He's like, he's going to be a superstar. You know, he's he's ushering in the the modern wave of, of a modern era wide receiver. So yeah, the, the future is very bright for Justin Jefferson. I'm I'm happy with how this piece turned out, um, and it's just he's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it was a great idea and great stuff. People should go check it out at Vikings.com. The rise of Justin Jefferson, Eric Smith. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, We will do it again soon. Love your work. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.